0: Two hunters are reported missing in Bear Mountain National Forest. The Midwest sees the worst drought in 30 years. Civil unrest is imminent. The northeast power grid has blacked out.
1: Economists fear the worst with falling markets. In
0: other news, the pandemic has gone global. Survival Tech
1: Hello and welcome to Episode 7 of Survival Tech. Today's episode we're going to be talking about survival and survival on TV shows. Matt, why don't you get us started by going to our new Intel report? All right. uh, We've
0: got some updates to the website. Uh, The biggest one is being the new voicemail line. Uh, You guys can call us at area code 206-426-4893. You'll dial that number, and uh, you'll have a a small greeting. Go ahead and listen to the greeting. After the tone, leave your message, and... uh, it saves it as a WAV file, so we can access it and throw it right onto the podcast, so we can get some shows that, that feature our listeners. Um, we also did, for those of us that have smartphones, um, went ahead and revamped the mobile website. So anybody that's using the mobile website, you'll be seeing a lot of changes from what it, it was to what it is now, and the readability of it is a lot easier
1: yeah please check that out that's a great improvement that we made to uh, the website in general to our mobile site and uh, I'm thinking we need to uh, mirror that image on a regular site as best as we can yeah that's not a problem in fact we could probably do that this week so
0: look look for that update soon
1: would that like to welcome some of our uh, new members to our website um, once again, our website is www.survivaltech.webs.com, and the new members that have joined recently is Brian from Minnesota, thank you Brian, uh, Alex from Oklahoma, and Andy from Ohio. You guys have heard us talk about Andy in the past, and here this past weekend, I actually went to a gathering at Andy's house um, where we partaked in some uh, primitive shelter building and fire starting skills. Um, it was kind of one's last-minute throw together. Let's get together and see what we can do. Um, Andy ended up spending the night out there with uh, some of his other friends and uh, his kids. Um, but it was a great time. Learned a lot. Found out what worked, what didn't. Um, and I hope to uh, the next time we have one of these to get some video and some pictures and share it along with everyone. Now, I know you and I were talking earlier, and uh, you were talking about,
0: some of the things that that didn't really work, uh, especially with your bag. So I think a lot of these small exercises are good just for knowing what you need to carry and what you need to have on you.
1: Yeah, with my bag, I tried to uh, not only take what I talked about in the past, what was in my bag, but try to um, shove some other stuff in there just to see how they worked. Um, And when I started packing everything in my bag, I ended up having to leave some stuff at home and, you know, rebuild my bag a few times to get what I wanted in there, in there knowing that I wasn't going to be in a survival situation Um that, I you know, I could easily walk to my vehicle and, and, you know, come back home. But there was a lot of stuff that I found that, you know, didn't work or didn't fit well or needs to be packaged differently. Um, and in exercises like this, you can look at other people's bags, how they pack gear, and uh you kind of learn from that. Um, I definitely need to go over my bag again, pull everything out, reassess the gear I have, um, repack it, and then update uh, all the listeners on you know what I found to work and what I didn't found to work in my bag, and hopefully get a more up-to-date of what I'm carrying um, in my bug-out bag. Um, it wasn't a complete bug-out bag. I didn't have um, extra change of clothes in it, knowing I didn't need it. Um, and there were some other things that I did not have in there. I didn't have a lot of food in there, um, or anything that, you know, you should take some with you. Uh, one of the things I did learn while I was out there is I had an idea how I wanted to build, build my structure and it was just going to be a simple lean to using a tarp. Um, but once I actually built it, I found a huge flaw. I made it way too tall. It was about, um, chest high. Um, and I was using a nine by seven tarp. And once I laid it out, there wasn't a whole lot uh, on the ground to, to keep me dry because it was wet um, in the area. And a lot of the uh, heat escaped rather quickly because there was nothing to hold it in. Um, so even though you may think, you know, you have it how you want to build it in your head, once you actually start building it, you need to, you know, rethink and, and change. And that's something I I didn't veer off of too much, and I wish I would have, because had I had to stay out there all night, I, I would have froze you know, it got down to the upper 20s, and I would have definitely, you know, froze all night. Um, but I did learn some valuable skills on uh, fire starting. I, uh, I tried um, using a bow drill. Um, well, I, you know, observed a bow drill being made. Um, I didn't actually get my chance to get one going, um, but that's something I'm going to be looking into here real soon. Um, I made some char cloth uh, that we're going to be doing here and putting a um, how-to video on our YouTube channel. Um, so it was an overall great experience, and I look forward to doing it again. Yeah, that sounds
0: that sounds really good, man. That sounds really
1: good, especially just for the the learning experience alone. It was neat I mean, to it... see, you know, what all everyone you know took out there, and you know how everyone's gear kind of you know deferred um, from one another. Um, I did take a, uh, first aid kit and luckily I did because, you know, someone ended up, uh, puncturing themselves with a, a sharp stick and, you know, needed, you know, medical attention, which was, you know, a bandaid, but, uh, you know, because they were bleeding, you know, not, you know, anything that needed stitches, but, you know, just to keep it from infection. Right. Um, so that was good to have. And, uh, one of the biggest things I took out of it is, uh, Andy packs a lot of his stuff um, inside inner tubes. Uh, He'll take an inner tube and then cut it to various lengths, and then put it over top of a PVC pipe, and then shove what he need down into the to the inner tube, which is just like a giant rubber band. And he had so much stuff packed in that, and it made it you know nice tight together. And there's many uses. And I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely steal that from Andy um, and see what I can get that would fit you know, in my bag better, you know, being wrapped up tightly. Well,
0: that sounds really cool, buddy. Um, I would also like to talk to the audience about our forum posts. Um, we've had one of our members, TJ Tradecraft. Uh, we spoke about him in the last episode. Um, he's, he's posting all kinds of cool things on there. He's got, he's got two forums that he started himself, and I encourage all of our listeners um, to go ahead and stop by the website and check it out, become a member and you know post your own form. Um, Corey and I are just the moderators for this show. You know we created the show, but we're the moderators of it, and we look forward to hearing what our audience has to say about this. You know different situations. Um, if you got feedback, if you got comments, if you got tips, if you say, hey i tried this this works for me or hey you guys need to look at this because i think this is really cool um feel free you know this is only going to make this better um as much you know input as we can get from everybody so for all of the um itunes uh audience or however you do get this show um definitely it's, it's worth stopping by the website and checking it out and uh you know becoming a member um Another thing with the uh, website and the downloads, um, I want to thank the audience. About three weeks ago, we did some revamps with um, how the feed was being pulled, and um, we ended up pulling it from an old feed and deleting all those episodes and moving them to a to a new archive um, server that. Uh, now feeds iTunes, and within three weeks, we are bordering on the thousand download mark,
1: and that just completely blows mine and Corey's minds. That's yeah, just amazing. Uh, With having uh, this being our seventh episode, and I really want to thank our listeners, um, you know, for giving us, uh, for giving us their time and helping us get that far in such a short amount of time yeah and so so definitely I mean there's
0: there's a lot of worth and in, in listening to the show and then being a part of the show and adding to the show. So definitely use the new voicemail line, uh, the numbers on the website and uh, or you can call it just two zero six four two six forty eight ninety three, Um you know leave, leave your messages there. Uh, you can email us survival.tech at yahoo.com. Um, or you can, you know, check out the website, survivaltech.webs.com. Uh, join the members area, post forums, call the voicemail, do whatever you can, get your voice heard.
1: And, um, with that, well, I want to, before we go on, I want to remind everybody mm -hmm. that once we hit 25 members, we are going to be doing a drawing for a prize package. Um, we're still working out the details of what's actually going to be involved in the prize package. But uh, I wanted to thank Alex for letting us know that we're almost halfway there. Uh, we now have 12 members. Um, so once we hit 25 members, our 25th member will end this contest. And we will do a drawing of the 25 members um, to find out who's going to get the prize package. And we hope to work out all the details by next show to actually let everyone know what's going to be involved in the prize. Yep, that's exactly
0: what I was going to jump to. So I'm glad you... Glad you brought that up. All right, you ready to get started? Let's get started. Television and survival.
1: It's been pretty big, especially uh, the last several years. Um, it's gotten you know bigger, and then uh, I think this year, being 2012 and everyone's um, worry of what could happen, I think it's going to make it even bigger. Um, from a media standpoint... Um, so, Matt and I have kind of broken up the survival shows um in two different categories that we think you know best fit you know each one. Um, if we have missed a show or there's a show that you know of out there that we do not you know discuss, please let us know um so we can either look into it because we're wanting you know to uh watch all that we can uh, to get as much information as we can. Um, so we can get back out and to share our, with our listeners. Um, you want to go over the two categories we came up with? Yeah. And I think the two categories not only, not only describes
0: the TV shows that are out there right now, but I think it really describes the type of different survivalists that are out there. And I don't think it's fair that they, they all get grouped into one, um, one single category of, well, hey, they're just, they're survivalists. Um, because depending on, depending on which category you're in, the other category sometimes will step on your toes and kind of make your category of what you truly are, it kind of makes you look bad. Um, so Corey and I, we were discussing earlier and we, we think that there should be um two categories of survivalists and the first set of survivalists are mainly dealing with wilderness survival if you're out in the woods you got to survive you know basically with a 3 day kit until you get picked up rescued um you know <clears throat> excuse me lost in the woods avalanches you know something that that's more of a nature situation, um, you know, even to be you know breaking down on a backcountry road and you know no houses for miles and packing out. Um, that's one set of survivalists, and we think the other set of survivalists are are mainly the the long term prepper after society breaks down, pretty much when shit hits the fan.
1: And with that, I I think with the shit hit the fan, um, a lot of the wilderness survival can kind of overlap with it, especially if you're in a bug out location. Yep. But not so much the other way around. Um, if you're a shit hit the fan, if you're a wilderness survivalist, you know uh, some of the shit hit the fan scenario is, is not gonna you know really overlap into your your category. Um, but they do. They you know they both have pros and cons, and you can definitely learn. Um, you know, from either one of them.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. But I, you know, like like what we were discussing earlier, I think I think the the blur between the two is causing some hard feelings between the two, and hopefully, our show can bridge the gap between the two, and hopefully, you know, both categories of the different survivalists will find something. Useful in our shows, and uh, because we're we're not necessarily just only going to hit, you know what the the category that that we kind of feel that that we're in. Um, I know I'm I'm kind of more of the wilderness survival part with um, with you know definitely some prepping, but it's it's not as extreme as a lot of these people that are preparing for the absolute downfall of society.
1: Right, and I, I agree with that. Um, when I look at, you know, some of these preppers, um, just to throw out the real quick, Doomsday Prepper, the new one that's that's on the uh, National Geographic Channel now, um, I am so not as prepared as uh, the people on that show when it comes to long-term food storage um, and water storage and things like that. Um, but, you know, one day maybe I'll get closer to that, but there's no way... I could see myself getting you know 15 20 year cachet of you know food and water for the entire family stockpiled. yeah, I mean something like that
0: is is really extreme and um, you know I, I, I do think there's different subcategories within that um, between the two categories but you know for for the main most part with the discussion that we're gonna have tonight. We're going to go ahead and break it up into the two categories, you know, but there are some of us out there that are prepping for, you know, a month or two in case there's a situation like, you know, Katrina or a, you know, tornado that completely wipes out a city or, you know, something like that. That's a little bit more downscale than than, you know, complete breakdown. So, Corey, which uh, which category do you want to start with first?
1: Uh, let's start with, uh, Wilderness Survival.
0: Okay. Go ahead and give us a rundown
1: of, uh, of TV shows there. The, the TV shows that we have, you know, grouped into this category, um, are Dual Survivor, Man vs. Wild, Man Woman Wild, Survivor Man, Alaska Experiment, and Out of a Wild Alaska Experiment.
0: Well, with those shows, we're gonna go ahead and and talk about. A brief overview of most of them that are that are kind of similar, and then we're going to go into more detailed on two of them that we like, and we're going to do the same thing with um, the other category as well, uh, where we're going to do brief overviews, and then we're going to get into more detailed discussion. Just because there are so many shows out there um, with with the wilderness survival um, aspect of this. Um the shows that we're just going to overview are going to be um Survivor Man First. Um I think Les Stroud what he did was extremely crucial to starting the ball rolling on a lot of this stuff. Um I think what he did and how he did it, it really, it really posted a good picture of one man against nature, um, doing everything he can with what he had. And it was extremely respectable of him to be out there for seven days by himself. And he also, he didn't have a camera crew with him or anything else. It was just him. And, um, some of the situations, you know, might not have seemed, um, you know as as dire as as some of the other situations that as some of the shows put themselves in um, but he was also out there by himself and so he had to constantly think about that and um, you know you never you never try and put yourself into a dangerous situation unless you absolutely cannot help it because that is one of the rules of survival you know don't don't push your luck unless you absolutely have to And,
1: uh, so anyway, I, I really liked Les. Les Drought definitely opened the door, you know, to the wilderness survival in the media. Um, I think what he did was, you know, was great. I liked the fact that he actually took the time to explain what he was doing, why he was doing it and how to do it. Um, more than some of the other shows. Um, while he was out there, you know, he was by himself like Matt said, so there was no camera crew, there was no one to call to radio in for help, um, if he did need it, and you know, it really really took a lot, you know, for him to be out there, and that's why it wasn't as there wasn't a lot of risk involved, um, in some of the stuff that he did, um, because he was by himself. And I think that's where Man vs Wild, which is our, our next uh, T V show kinda played on that because, you know, with Bear Grylls, he had a camera crew with him and he was able to take more risks because if something did happen, you know, there was someone there, you know, to help him or to, uh, you know, call in, you know, for help for him, whereas Survivor Man was all alone. Well,
0: and and I'm, I'm glad you went ahead and, and jumped to Man vs. Wild because with every positive, there's negative, you know, there's, you know, there's, there's complete opposites, you know, everywhere you look. And you need somebody to rival you, to not only make you better, which you've seen later on in the Les Stroud, where he was going to more extreme places, more extreme situations. Um, but yet you have to have that person that pushes you. Well, you know, thanks, thanks to Les getting the ball rolling and everything, uh, then Bear Grylls comes along and uh, he completely pushes the envelope Whereas, less, you could look at it as a documentary that you could actually learn from. Barrel, he, his show was mainly set up for entertainment. And although you can take some aspects from it and, and utilize a lot of it, it, it was just eye candy. And, um, you know, I, if anybody was, was really paying attention to that and thinking, well, I can do what what Man vs. Wild can do in case I get stuck out in the wilderness, you know. Because he said, well, I can I can show you how to survive anywhere in the world, and then he's you know pole vaulting you know over volcanoes and whatever. You know that's it's not feasible
1: and it's just set up for ratings. Uh, Bear Grylls, you know, is great for entertainment, and you can get some things out of it but there's way too much drama in it for me. Um, you know, jumping 30 foot cliffs and scaling down waterfalls, you know, with nothing but his, you know, his hand with no rope or nothing. And, um, it's just some of the stuff going into a cave and losing his light and not knowing where it's going to come out. And it was just the average person in a survival situation is not going to put himself through that much risk. um, just to see what's on the other side. Yes, you need to, you know, find better ground and yes, you need to, you know, try and get help, but the way it's done, you know, you can't put yourself in a situation that you're going to cause, you know, yourself to be injured if you're not injured or to injure yourself more if you are injured. Well, I think with uh Man vs Wild, they only had one script.
0: It was, okay, let's pick a spot on the map and that's where we're going and okay, we're going to we're going to drop you off on top of a mountain. So either you're going to be dropped off in some sort of glacier, you know, s- glacier or snow cap or top of mountain, you know, some some forest way up in the in the uh, altitude, and then you're going to scale down, and you're going to go down to, you know, and you have to scale down a waterfall, then you're going to have to go through a cave and hopefully come out the other side, you know, because they always leave you hanging right there at the commercial break, and... Uh, and then finally get down, and it it seems like I don't know uh, about a month and a half ago I had a uh, man versus wild marathon that I was I was uh, doing through Netflix, and it seemed like every single show had the same setup, and after a while it, it kind of got boring, and you know although although it was entertaining for the first few, it's you know finally I got bored with it, you know just because I, I seen them do it and do it, and do it again, and, you know, it's it's not fun anymore.
1: It, it got very, you know, repetitious. And, you know, the difference between Les Stroud being alone and Man vs. Wild having a camera crew, especially in the newer episodes, you see the camera crew. You see them help Bear Girls when he need, you know, when he gets stuck in mud or pull them out or something. I mean, they're there. And, you know, that kind of takes away from it. Um you know, because he's supposed to be, you know, bare grills. He can, you know, do anything by himself, and then now he's asking for help. Because in the first episodes, the first couple of seasons, you never heard of, you know, the camera crew with him. And you never seen him. And then in the later ones, after it came out that um maybe he was sleeping, you know, in some, you know, hotel on the beach while they're filming, you know, at night, not in the woods... You know, all of a sudden now you start hearing, you know, the camera crew and he's talking to the camera crew and they're talking back and, um, you know, you see him helping them along the way. Um, and then it is very repetitious. And I I, <laughs> I hope not to offend anybody by this, but Bear Grylls and Man vs. Wild, if any of you have kids, kind of reminds me of Dora the Explorer. And you with the map, I mean, you go over the bridge, you go down the waterfall, <laughs> and you get to the castle. I mean, it seems like that's the way it is on every episode yep <laughs> that's that's a pretty good analogy, man
0: well, thank you, <laughs> <laughs> so that brings us to the next camera crew show and um. Uh, Which which one do you want to go to, Corey? I mean,
1: Uh, let's go to Man Woman Wild.
0: Okay, (laughs) here we go. I was kind of hoping you were gonna (laughs) this one. Um, (laughs) Go ahead and start. Well, Man Woman Wild. um, It came out like what two weeks after Dual Survival. Yeah, and right around the same time. Yeah, I think it was because it was the hour after Dual Survival. It seems like like it w- could have been a good premise, but they picked the wrong people to do it. Um, I'm not a real big fan of Mike Hawk and his wife, Ruth. Um, I don't know really what the deal is with her. I think they, they cast them because... Women would watch it with their men because, I don't know, they might think he's hot and the guys would like her, but, I'm sorry, but, Ruth, you're, you're a little old, number one, and, uh, if you're wanting to be eye candy, you know, for the, you know, for the survival niche, it's, it's, it's not working. You know, yeah, you're, you're pretty and you seem nice, but, you know, you're not, You know, you're not some 25 year old bombshell, that's for sure. And uh, just just the chemistry between them, it it just seemed like like he was like he was constantly overbearing with her, and you got to do it this way. And he made himself off to be this you know giant expert, and I, I don't I, I don't care about his military training and this that and the other. It just the, the way he came off I didn't care for the show when it started and and still don't really care for it
1: Yeah, I think the best part of Man Woman Wild is the wild. Um, you know, to see the different places, you've pretty much seen them all before, but that's the best part of that show. She is, you know, learning the ways from him and I hate to say it, but he's a douchebag. Um, my personal opinion, I just don't like the way he is, his monotone, you know, speaking through the whole thing. Um, he's very, very demanding. Um, uh, he was on another show. I can't remember what it was called, the last or the top soldier, the last soldier or something like that, but just the way, um, he portrays himself throughout, you know. You know, both shows that he was on just made me not like him. I mean, he's, he knows everything. You know, he's done it before. Um, he can do it. Uh, no one can, you know, the way he seemed, the way he portrayed himself to me was that, you know, no one can do it better than him. Um, you know, he's this ultimate soldier. Um, he's been everywhere, done everything and no one's better. Right. Um, He he says himself as an authority. He doesn't need to learn new things because he already knows it. And, you know, for me, this whole field is all about learning new skills. Um, you, you never stop. You, you never, you know, get satisfied of where you are and, and just stop. You always try to thrive and, and learn as much as you can and, and keep practicing your skills. And, and don't get me wrong. He can do some amazing things and he does know a lot and he, you know, um. Yeah. But, you know, at the
0: same time, Les Stroud, he ends up going to the far ends of the earth you know, and training with, you know, tribes members of, you know, Papua New Guinea, you know, and getting how they survive. And, you know, he's he's very open about, yes, you know, I, I went to, you know, this tribe and they showed me how to do this and what plants to eat and everything else. And and it just, it, it would seem like like Mike would not admit that. You know, he might, but it just, the way he comes off and, Another thing, if Ruth, you know, has to kill an animal because you know he's making her kill these animals because she's going to have to learn in case something happens to him and she can survive on her own. Okay, so it's this big traumatic experience. Oh God, I just killed an armadillo or whatever, whatever they're going after. So he has to go up to her and calm her down and go, honey. It's a life, but now it's going to give us life. And he's got that monotone voice, you know, and it, it, he's, he's trying to talk her down and explain to her how killing this animal is a good thing. Okay, look, it's, it's very simple. Do you want to still be hungry or not? If you want to eat, kill the animal. If you don't want to eat and you want to sit there and starve, then let's not kill the animal. It's that simple. It's, it's very cut and dry. And I, I just, I don't like, you know, the, the going up and coddling her, you know, after situations like that. And how he, they got a kiss, you know, once every five minutes on the show. And it's like, come on, dude, give it a break. It's a, it's definitely a soap opera
1: for, you know, survivalists. It reminds me of, you know, when you're back in school, um, and then, you know, you have the the teachers that you get along with and you like and you learn from because they make it exciting and fun. And then you have the ones that just, you know, write the everything on the board and then you just got to copy it down. And they, you know, like a history teacher, yep. everything's monotone, the same thing every day. You come in, you sit down, you write it down, and you learn that way. And you don't ask no questions um, because they already, you know, they know and you should know. And that's what he makes me feel like. I know exactly which teacher you're talking about too, buddy. <laughs> yeah. He comes to mind when I, when I see him.
0: Yep. <laughs> Good old Mr. Bender. <laughs> so,
1: alright, Um have we made
0: it through our, our short discussion? Uh,
1: we have an out of the wild this. Alaska experiment. Okay. A short discussion. Okay. Out of
0: the wild Alaska experiment, if you remember, um Discovery Channel had had three of these. You know, there was there was two that were out of the wild um, in their title. One was Venezuela, yes, and the other one was uh, uh, the Alaska Out of the Wild, the Alaska Experiment. There's another one that we're going to talk about later, and that was season one. Um, but out of the wild. Those two, and I'm going to go ahead and group Venezuela
1: yeah, with Alaska. Yeah, it's the same thing, just different terrain. Right. What they did is they dropped these people off.
0: It and was like
1: 15, 20 people. Right. They they
0: dropped this group off. Um, they give them. They were able to pack their own bags, correct? Yes, there was a pile of stuff that they got to pack from. Right. Um, they all got you know the spot GPS locators uh, attached to their bag and everything, and they could bow out at any time. And what they had to do is they had to go from spot to spot on the map, you know, calculating their own bearing distances and 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 running with it. And they had to calculate over a uh, terrain map um, using contours and everything how to get to their next spot within a certain time limit. And um, so they would go from you know rustic shelters that actually had four walls. And they would go to, you know, smaller just, you know, tarp camps and everything. And um, the Alaska experiment, I didn't really get into the Venezuela experiment a whole lot.
1: I started uh, watching it but then lost interest.
0: Yeah, I lost interest in it too. The Alaska experiment, now that actually caught my interest. But I don't know. It's was, it was something about being, you know, still here in America. You know, although it is Alaska, but just Alaska I mean is, It's just beautiful.
1: It's the Great Lost Frontier. It's the, you know, the one land still untouched, you know, mainly by by man. Right. And uh,
0: so I got into the Out of the Wild Alaska Experiment, and like the first day, the very first episode, um, a whole bunch of people drop out. Can't handle it. And their numbers, you know, start dwindling, you know, from there, but... But they take you through and you know there's along the way they get different items you know such as rifles and shotguns and whatnot and it's it's very interesting to see how these different types of people and these people come from all different walks of life um and and how they're actually able to survive you know in in these harsh conditions and it's a real good character study on these people, and and what would happen when you take regular people and drop them into this
1: situation? And I believe it was like a thirty day. Yeah, it was uh, thirty day track. hike. Yeah, yeah, that they were on. Um, and then they had you know from the walks of life they had you know everything from just you know a house mom to yeah, there's a, a bus uh, driver, truck, yeah, a truck driver, um, uh, fishing guide, a hunting guide, you know, someone like that um and i always you know find these people and then i try you know from the first episode i think everyone does they pick one person they like and you know they're rooting for them all the way Mm -hmm. and surprisingly you know a lot of them the people that tend to drop out earlier you know earlier on than some people that you would you know are these you know like fishing guides um and you would think that they're going to go all the way because they're you know used to being in the outdoors and you know doing things with the outdoors but I just think that the, uh, the stress of, you know, being in the unknown, not being well prepared as if, you know, you're packing your bag from what you have that you're able to buy at the store, you know, from these fishing guides and know where they're going, know what they need, being out there in the middle of nowhere, um, and then trying, having to deal, um, I think people skills came in, um, to play a big part of, you know, the experiment, um, to see how, Someone is able to deal with someone that's not, you know, holding their weight, but are not willing to drop out. Right. And I think that's what caused a lot of the people to drop out early because they couldn't, you know, deal with, you know, people lagging behind. Yeah, that's, that's a real good character study. And if anybody's, you know, interested, I,
0: I definitely recommend, um, out of the wild, the Alaska experiment to watch first, um, rather than, um, the Venezuelan one. So, Anyway, now we're going to get into our more detailed um, reviews. Let's go ahead and let's start with the Alaskan experiment. Um, season one of the Alaskan experiment was just called the Alaskan experiment. Season two had the out of the wild attached as a prefix. So the Alaska experiment took... What was it four groups of people?
1: Four groups of people.
0: Yep. And they dropped them off at different cabins. Um, whether it be a like a, a tent cabin that was, you know, canvas with a wood floor, um couple different and then there was what, three three different smaller
1: hunting cabins. Yeah. And I think the groups of people, um, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, is there was um I believe a group either they were, you know, dating boyfriend girlfriend, fiance, you know, something to that effect, yep. um or just real close friends and they had the the tarp structure, um the camera structure on the, structure beach. On the yep. beach. And then there was a father and two daughters which had a hunting cabin. Yep. And then there was a husband and wife team that had a cabin. Mm-hmm. And then there was a group of friends which were two guys and a girl. Yep. And they were in a cabin at a lake. Yep, yep, you're absolutely right. And what they had was they
0: had this bush pilot. They had to they had to hike in. Bush pilot dropped them off, and then a lot of it was was it uh, between two and six mile hikes. Yes, to their cabins. And what was so neat was seeing, you know, like like the husband and wife team. You know, the very first episode. He's a bigger guy. He does concrete, you know, he's a concrete contractor. So he does concrete day in, day out. His knees are shot. And now he's trekking through this wilderness, you know, and he's he's probably, you know, a good 220, 230 pounds. He's a big man. And uh, his wife, I believe his wife is actually like some sort of, she's some sort of uh, like semi-professional athlete where I don't know if it was like uh like, um, Uh, like Iron Man competitions or something like that, but she's like a long distance, you know, runner, so she's got, you know, a lot of stamina and everything else. Well, they ended up having to, ended up having to, uh, stop about halfway point just so, um, he could, you know, relax and, and catch up to her, uh, for the next day because he was, he was having one hell of a time. Um, but I mean, it was, it was just neat seeing these people, and they're out there, and it's like, wow, we are really out here, and they're getting lost. Uh, the 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 three friends, the two guys and a the girl, uh, they went in circles for a little bit before they got to their cabin, um, and I mean, it, it just it just showed them that, you know, they they did not know exactly what they were up against, and then in comes the wildlife. And everybody starts seeing all these bears, and you know it's it's the time where you know the salmon are spawning, and um, you know salmon runs are going, so you know the bears are out, they're trying to feed, and here these people are right in bear territory and it's it's the time of the bear of the year and uh, it's very interesting because as soon as they get to their cabin, uh, they got to start. Uh, going as fast as they can
1: because winter's approaching yeah winter's coming quick and they got to get their supplies up so they can make it through and what i mean these people have like little or no experience uh with them in you know wilderness survival um but what's interesting is that the show put them with a, a hunting guide one person from each group and they went on a hunt um if they were were able to, you know, grab meat during that time, they got to take all that meat back to their camp. If not, if they were unable to, you know, secure an animal, then they had no food and they had to either find food, um, smaller game from what they have, you know, from a smaller, I think it was 22 or, uh, you know, 410 or something like that with them. Yeah, weren't Uh, they running I think it was 22. Weren't they running the, uh, Uh, yeah, cricket? Yeah, I believe so. Or they had to be fishing, you know, for you know salmon or whatnot, and trying to figure out ways to long-term storage on it. Yeah, and they did have like like some canning supplies and everything at, at the cabin, so you know they they gave them a bit of a chance. So it was just it, if they were able to apply that knowledge, you know, and work together, um, and I think that's what the father and two daughters had the the biggest problem with was working together. Uh, The two daughters kept, you know, fighting back and forth. Right, and it seemed like the dad
0: just kind of stayed out of it, which uh, for those of us that have uh, daughters, you know, sometimes you just let the daughter go off on a rant and, you know, you just stay out of it because you don't want to hear it and you don't want to be, you know, involved and, uh, you you don't want the wrath turned on you. So, um, but no, I mean, you know, the guy was... The the dad was really knowledgeable, and it seemed like he picked up on a lot of things real quick. And I think he did small stuff like fishing, but I don't think he was really like a hunter or anything. But um, yeah, it's just good to see the dynamic between everybody. I mean, you know the the two daughters. I mean, it, it got to the point where they were like almost at each other's throats, and you know they're they're going through the rations and arguing, and then next thing you know, they're sitting down and they're uh they're eating the peanut butter, you know, and they're like, "Oh, well, we'll just have three crackers each." And then that turns into six crackers each and everything, and the dad's outside and he's working and gathering firewood and you know, it just seemed like I don't know, it was it was it was very interesting to watch, you know, especially how everybody was on the first day where they were excited and hey, we're going to do this and this, and then everything starts breaking down
1: and reality sets in. And then with the um the three groups of friends, um they seemed to get the best location. Mm-hmm. Um, they were right near a lake, they had plenty of you know woods around. they had good hunting, they had good fishing, and they were doing good. They collected you know a bunch of firewood right off the bat. they had the completely outside underneath of their cabin stocked with firewood within you know a short time. Um, while they were there, and uh they really seemed to get bored with their location mm-hmm. uh, they you know got prepared so well
0: well with with that group and it 's funny because i i just i watched it recently um One thing that sticks out in my mind is when they got their their cricket the twenty two and uh they were all shooting it, and I think they got what one one brick. Of uh, 22 long rifle, so pretty much they I think they got 500 they got 500 rounds with them, um, and then this you know Davy Cricket um, rifle, but they were they were each taking turns shooting and adjusting the sight, and it. You are know, just sitting back and watching, it's like, okay, if three people are going to be sharing this gun, you know, either number one, designate someone that's going to be the marksman and going to be, you know, it's going to definitely be the one that goes out hunting, you know, the best shot. Either do that, or if everybody's going to share the responsibility of doing it, instead of going through and you know, wasting all these bullets, you know, because, I mean, they were, they were going back and forth, and you had, you had the two guys, I mean, they were, they were kind of bickering back and forth, and they were best friends about how to sight this, this gun in. You know, if it was, if it was Corey and I, and we had to share a gun, you know, he would see where he's shooting, I'd see where I'm shooting, you know, and call it good. You know, I don't think we would even mess with the sights. We would just, we would just no. adjust to the sight. Yeah right. We just, we just, adjust. Adjust. Yeah, right. So uh, it was it was just it was funny just seeing that dynamic and you know instead of you know wasting you know two shells each you know here they're shooting and they're shooting and they're shooting and you know, look you know a, a brick of a brick of you know twenty twos will last a long time you know shooting especially out of a single shot but at the same time when that's all you have you know you kind of want to hoard those bullets as as much as you can. Yeah, because once you're out, you're out. (laughs) Right. So, but no, I highly recommend the Alaskan Experiment. Um, more of a documentary based, uh, show. Um, but just to, just to see the dynamic of, of people and, and how they react to the, the situations that they're put
1: into. It's pretty good. Uh, I definitely don't want to ruin it for anybody that hasn't seen it and that is, you know, wanting to see it. Um, but there's definitely some ups and downs and there's some twists and turns and some things that you don't see um, that you don't expect to see uh, and that some of the groups do um, that, you know, really kind of change the way things, you know, things are looked at. And they have to rethink their plan um, because they just totally, you know, changed it up. Um, and then we, I know we haven't really talked much about the uh, the people on the beach. Um, but they have a hard time from the beginning. Um, they get a hard time, you know, catching fish and they're having a hard time canning their fish. And it just seems like they just cannot catch a break. Um, they have the worst structure, um, you know, as far as, uh, from the elements, um, from bears being right on the, the beach, um, and they're just in a canvas tent. So they're already, you know, stuck with the worst, worst structure out of the, the four, because the other three are wood cabins. um, And then they just can't, can't catch fish. They can't get stuff canned right. And it's just ups and downs, um, throughout the whole, the whole time, you know, they're there. Yeah. Definitely, uh, definitely check it out if, if you, if you
0: can. Um, well, Corey, go ahead and give us a rundown on, uh, the
1: last of our wilderness survival. All right. Let's talk about Dave and Cody. Yeah. Dave and Cody, I think is, uh, gotta be the top of the wilderness survival um as far as you know their show and their program and what they do and how they put it out there um now they are a two-man crew that are highly trained in their fields um they uh they do have a camera crew with them um but you don't see much involvement from the camera crew um and they go to you know some of the I like that they do some really extreme places, and then they also do, you know, like uh, in Kentucky and in the, you know, mountains of, um, you know, the Rocky Mountains and, you know, the Arizona Desert and, you know, things that could, you know, most um, of our listeners, you know, may run into. Um, but they also go to uh, all over the world, and um, the one that was in Peru, was it Peru that they were uh, black powder hunting?
0: Yeah, the Patagonian.
1: Yeah. Yep. That, I mean, they, they do some, you know, really neat stuff. And the way each episode is, you know, well, this is how we got stranded. You know, we were a couple of hunters, um, and someone got hurt or, you know, we were driving down a logging road, um, and our truck broke down or we're canoeing down the river and we, you know, flipped our canoe. Everything's got a scenario, um, you know, that is, relevant it could really happen and that's, that's what i like about the show i, I think that's my favorite part too and, and that's why
0: i gravitate towards it more than anything else is because it's like it's that whole it's that whole you know storyteller aspect to to it you know okay here's what happened you know and it just sucks you in from the beginning
1: you because know, most of us i mean up when we sit around with you know like me and Matt, you know we're family, when we sit around and we talk about it, that's what we do okay, this is the situation. what would you do or a bunch of friends you sitting around around a bonfire, someone always throws those scenarios up there and that that's what's kind of cool to actually see the scenarios play out um yep. and you're not the one <laughs> actually trying to you know learn while you're actually trying to survive, which is never good. You should always be prepared before you have to be in a situation um so, I think that's a you know a great thing because we all do that we all you know this is the scenario you know what would you do or what would you take, or you know where would you go? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you know that really helps to show
0: well and then you have the chemistry between Dave and Cody, and I tell you what right now on netflix you can you can watch uh the first season of dual survival and um yeah, you know, the the second season really amped it up, but l- let's stick to the first season first. First season, Dave meets Cody, okay? They're completely different. They both have great aspects that you can you can learn from. I mean, you can learn a lot from Cody. You know, if if you want to learn how to if you want to learn how to survive, you know, the next 3 days, yeah, Dave's your man. You know, he'll get you out of the situation in three days. If you're looking for a couple more days than just the three days, Cody's your man. I mean, he knows just how to live off the land. I mean, he's just he's you know is he runs what um, I can't remember the name of the school, but it, what is it? Uh, Aboriginal skills or something? Primitive skills? Something? Okay. Yeah, I,
1: I don't know the name of it. And I would hate to. But misquoted, right? But I mean, Cody's
0: just—it's just—it's it's comical, you know—the the play between them, you know. Because in the very first episode, I'm sure we've all seen it. Here's Dave, you know this, you know ex-army, um, you know he used to be um, a reptile wrangler, you know he lives, you know here in Ohio. So you know, number one, he's he's local boy for Corey and I. So we just we gravitate towards him, and you know he's he's a hunter and a woodsman, and you know it's, it's just like you know being with us. And, uh, and then you got Cody, and here he's his this bush hippie, and he doesn't wear boots in winter. And here they are paddling you know to some island right off the coast of Nova Scotia, and uh, it's it's just amazing you know it's like 30 degrees you know there's snow everywhere and here he is in socks and dave's looking at him and he's looking back at dave and they're sizing each other up and you know it's like dave's like you know where's your boots man you know why are you in shorts and you know cody's like well this is how i do you know i've been living this way for 20 years i haven't worn shoes and it's just, it's it's amazing just seeing the dynamic, how they start off when they're, you know, they're questioning each other in the first couple episodes, then they start building trust between
1: each other. I mean, Dave's already questioning Cody as a liability. Right. At this point. And, uh, and you know, Cody, I,
0: I think he does the same thing with Dave. You know, he's like, you know, does this guy really know what he's talking about? You know, he's yeah he's a woodsman, yeah, he's a hunter, but you know he goes into his house every night, you know, whereas you know Cody is you know living this every single day, you know, so you've got that dynamic between them, and uh it's just great because you know as 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 they keep moving on to you know different situations and different experiences they start trusting each other more and more and more. And they actually turn into a brother like relationship where, you know, they laugh together. They have, you know, good times, you know, they argue, you know, they complain, um, you know, Dave will go talk to the camera crew, you know, by himself and say, Hey man, is guys a joke. And, you know, Cody will do the same thing and badmouth Dave. And then, you know, but you know, they don't really mean anything by it. They just, you know, they're venting steam, so, but it's just the dynamic between them, and it's not only a show that you can watch and get a lot of enjoyment out of, mainly because of the chemistry between the two, but a lot of it is um, you know, the situations that they put themselves into. It's not completely over the top, and uh, it's, uh, it's something that, that you could find yourself in.
1: And I think with, you know, because they're two totally different people, it's nice, um, you know, for everyone watching because you can, you know, choose whose side you know you're more like, and that really helps because just like we talked about earlier, like what I did with Andy, we went out there, we seen how two different people do it, and you kind of reassess, you know, the way you look at things and the way you're gonna approach, you know, a survival situation, and that's what these two do. They they go at it um i mean they're all trying to achieve the same goal but they have different ways of going about it and i think that really helps uh the show um where it you know wants to go um especially when it comes to risks involved um you know one may seem you know it may be risk you know a higher risk and too big of a risk to take a chance on and then the other one's like well no it's you know this is you know this is better than that Uh, i know some of the i can't remember where they were at but uh I know Dave had uh, was gonna drink out of a uh, uh, stagnant water um, with using nothing but like a bamboo rod and some cigarette filters um, broken off and shoved down into, and he was drinking the water up through that. And Cody had nothing to do with it. He said he'd rather you know go without water than to drink that and get sick. And uh, they're arguing back and forth, or you know bickering back and forth of how safe the water is. And then in the very next one, I think it was a running water. It was a running water mm-hmm. um, you know, creek, small creek. Right. Um, but it wasn't going through, you know, any limestone or any rock or anything like that to, you know, kind of help filter it out. Um, and then, um, like, two or three episodes later, they're in a desert um, in Arizona or somewhere in the desert, and uh, which is where Cody's from. That's his backyard. And he goes over and drinks straight out of stagnant water. And, you know, Dave's like, what are you doing? You know, you wouldn't drink from, you know, the running water through cigarette filters, but you'll drink stagnant, you know, water sitting in the ground. And, you know, the way, you know, they talk to each other, I, I just think that was, you know, great. I, I like the way that they did that. Um Because, you know, I I kind of find myself more with Dave. I would rather drink through the running water. And cigarette filters and stagnant water in the desert. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you're, you know, more familiar with one than the other, I guess it depends on your, you know, the risk involved. And then uh, another one when they were going after, uh, they found a beehive. And uh, or Dave found a beehive. And <laughs> he was going to go after the honey for food. And Cody's like, well, you know, you're nuts, man. You, there's too much risk involved getting stung by bees than to go after the honey. And you know Cody ended up helping Dave get ready and suited up and to go in after the honey, but he stood back and laughed at him the whole time he was getting stung. Um, but they were managed to secure food, Um, which you know something that they need. And then Cody likes to eat you know worms and snakes and grubs and stuff like that. And you know Dave's a, a meat eater. He wants meat. He wants red meat and uh, doesn't care where it comes from.
0: Yeah, what's great was you know Cody said. You know, don't go after... You know, he's always... Like, Dave would go after a boar. He'd get a boar. Um, Or Dave would go after, like, when they're down in the Everglades, he'd he'd go after a uh, gator. You know, and he got this, you know, was a four-foot, you know, six-foot gator. Yeah. And brings his gator back. And the whole time, Cody's like, you know, don't ever go after anything that can get you. And then next, like... The next episode you see, you know, Cody going after these scorpions. You know, and it's <laughs> like, you know, yeah, he, he cuts the stinger off and everything, but it's, it's still, it's like, whoa, wait, wait a minute. You know, if, if you miss and you don't get that stinger cut off and you get nailed, you know, good luck. So, but I don't know, just, just the interaction between those two guys, that makes, that I think the very best show, and then another plus, you know, a lot of a lot of things you can find on YouTube, you know, with uh, with Dave and Cody separate, you know, from each other. Um, you know, Dave's got the Wilderness Outfitters channel on YouTube, and um, he's also got the uh, uh, Survival Adventure Network on YouTube now, and he's doing a lot with that. That's a lot of great information. You know, we, we talked about it in a recent podcast. You know, go over, check it out. You know, if, if you agree with Dave, cool. If you don't agree with Dave, that's cool too. You know, cause I don't agree with Dave on everything. Um, but it's all free information. So, uh, take, take what you can get from it. Um, and then, you know, Cody, there's, there's a couple, you know, videos with, uh, Cody on some you know other TV shows and stuff like that, where he's hosting you know some things and it's 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 good to you know watch him as well. So you know either together or separate you know those guys they've they've got a lot to share and and we can we can all learn a lot from them. And uh, like I said you know if 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 something doesn't fit you or you know, you you don't think it'll work or don't trust it you know you don't have to but at least check out the information because the information is there
1: real quick before we uh head on to the next category Mm -hmm. um if you can try and narrow it down what is your top favorite dual survival episode
0: Mm. that's a hard one I can't narrow it down to one. I can probably give you my top three for people to go check out.
1: Okay, what are your top three? Uh,
0: my top three is, first of all, number one, the very first episode where they go to Nova Scotia. Um, the Just watching it for the shelter that Cody built um, with what he had was worth it. it, was worth it watching the episode. It's like 20-some degrees outside, um, and Cody built the shelter and it was about seventy some degrees inside the shelter. You know in the dead of winter up in Nova Scotia. You know, that's that's pretty impressive. Um another one that I liked was was uh the Kentucky one. Um it was it was it was pretty good, you know, mainly because it was the closest one to us so far to date. And uh Let's see, were we in Kentucky when that one either was we going on? Either we were in
1: Kentucky or we just got back from Kentucky when that one aired. Yeah. So and I think that's what kind of helped, you know, because we were just there. Right. So it made it, you know, that much cooler for the cool factor went up. Right. Cause we had just gotten, you know, either just got on vacation in, I mean, it was either that Friday, that night that we got down there it was on. Um, or it was, it was right after that. I remember it was real close to when we were in Kentucky. And then I'm,
0: I'm sorry. I'm the last one's going to have to be a tie. It's going to have to be uh, with the the breakdown up in Maine, and um, the one where they're in Washington in the Pacific Northwest. I like both of those quite a bit too.
1: Yeah, I I like the one in Maine. Um, I think the one in the Maine was one of it's probably my top one. Um, just what they use and. You know, the resources that they, you know, use to make what they make. And I, I just find it really cool. Um, well, and then the, the whole, um, where they're at, uh, you know, the area was beautiful and I learned a lot, you know, just about Maine in itself about all the logging roads and how a lot of them, you know, don't get, I didn't realize it was that, you know, uh, that dense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it was. Because I
0: think what ninety
1: percent of Maine is still forest land. Yeah, which is just amazing. So, but you know, taking the hood and you know, making things and shoulders, and I, th- I just thought that was cool. Yeah, I think I think the Maine was what the last one on the second
0: season. I believe so. It pretty much came full circle because in the in the first episode with in Nova Scotia, season one, episode one. They were kind of arguing, bickering back and forth, and they were kind of doubting each other. They went through and went all over the world. Then when they get back to Maine, it seemed like they were bickering and they were starting not to trust each other because of some of the decisions that each of them were making. And it it was good to see that, that again. But... It's it's really cool to see the uh, the one up in Pacific Northwest where, um, how do you make a fire when everything's wet? I mean, and they're they're picking up what they think is dry, and uh, you know they're just they're you are you know just picking something up you know off the forest floor, and they're like you know it hasn't rained, and they start squeezing you know on the was it you know some some sort of moss, yeah, and just. Tons of water poured out. I mean, it, it would probably fill like you know half a water bottle. You know, and, and Cody's like everything's wet. How do we make a fire now? So you know, it's 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 pretty good. So, all right, you want to go ahead and move on? I know I've been doing a lot of talking about this one. Why don't you go ahead and and uh, start us into the other one because uh, I haven't seen as much of these as you have
1: with uh, our should hit the fan you know, disaster survival um category um we have 5 kind of grouped in this one which is doomsday preppers the colony surviving disaster after armageddon and apocalypse man after armageddon and apocalypse man were um a history channel uh like armageddon week special um I think After Armageddon was a two part uh like a Monday Tuesday Tuesday Wednesday night um episode. Um I really liked After Armageddon. It followed a family from um you know something happened. Uh it was a virus outbreak and they were you know first hearing about it, how they prepared, you know they board themselves up in the house they stayed there and along the way as they're doing things they have you know disaster experts and homeland security office you know officials um coming on and kind of narrating you know what's going on what could happen you know what to do what they should have done and it follows this family along um this family kind of stays it's a husband wife and a son. And then the husband has some, uh, medical background of some sort. I can't remember exactly what. I think he was in the hospital, um, as an aide or, uh, a nurse or an EMT or or something. And, um, after staying in the house for months and, you know, fighting, uh, people that are trying to, uh, you know, break in and, you know, take all their goods and, and, you know, loot and everything, um, they decided to leave. And then once they leave, then they're on the road and they're trying, you know, they have the same problem, the same type of problems. Um, and they run into, you know, they're trying to find water and they run into, you know, all these guys and then, you know, they're getting chased and, you know, how they get away from that. And then they finally make it to a safe haven with, with other people that are trying to make it to a safe haven. And then, you know, the littlest things with the class of society, you know, brings the whole world back down on top of them after they thought they were safe. Um, I like the commentary from all the um, experts throughout the show. I mean, I think it was in, it was only a two-hour uh, or you know, three-hour show. I think it was like two hours the first night or something. I can't remember exactly. Um, you can watch it on YouTube. Um, it's a, like, nine-part series um, that you can watch on YouTube if you haven't caught it. It's definitely w- worth watching. Um, it was a few years back that the History Channel had it on. Um, and it was during their Armageddon week. Um, the second one, Apocalypse Man, um, it was also during the History Channel Armageddon week. Um, and it was just a, uh, it was a, a guy. It was like a, you know, sur- the wilderness survival man versus wild, you know, survivor man style, but it was in an, in an urban environment. Um,
0: yeah, he, and, re- he definitely reminded me of Bear Girl's wannabe. Ex-
1: yes, definitely. and, But I learned a lot from that show, and something I I took from that, that I, you know, um, together, you know, Matt and I are trying to put together a, um, SOP, or Survival Operating Procedure, and then we're going to do a show later on about that, um, in more detail, but some of the stuff that I'm putting in that, I took from Apocalypse Man, and it was kind of, you know, weird that it's kind of stuck with me this whole time, because it was several years ago, um, but it had just some good information. It was one guy trying to survive after the collapse of society, and you know he's going to these places. He's he's gathering gear. Um, I think he was outside the town, and then he goes into the town if I remember yep. right. Um, and he has to go across this bridge, um, which is a big risk. Here we go talking about the you know the risks involved. But the thing he has to jump across it was like a um, always those bridges that lift up drawbridge drawbridge thank you mine went blank there for a minute yep um but yeah I jump across a, a drawbridge and you know to get into the city in order you know, to find gear and to find um stuff to use for to aid in his survival um and one of the places that he went to um that i wrote down and has been with me ever since um is he went to a library to gather information and he says you know library is one of the most overlooked areas. Um, you know, during a survival situation when you're trying to gather gear. But if you think about it, you go to a library, you have, you know, books on plants to eat on, you know, what's, what's edible and what's not. Um, you have maps and, you know, all kinds of, you know, shelter making and, you know, tool making. You got all that stuff. But then, you know, you also have your, your maps and your topographs and, um, your information as in, you know, what, um, uh, Resources are you know in your, your area, um, as far as you know the police and fire department and hospitals and you have you know all kinds of directories. So library is an excellent place to go um, to grab information. And uh, the one thing that I I don't like about Apocalypse Man was near the end he was trying to find a vehicle. Um, and once he found this vehicle, now he's already trying to siphon you know gas. Um, from gas pumps and there's, you know, cars with no fuel and there's a gas shortage and everything because everyone's already made a run on fuel. So what's it does he do? It's he, him by himself with limited gear. He goes and grabs a, subor- a Suburban. You know, something that gets 8, 10 miles a gallon. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably not the smartest thing to grab when there's, you know, a bunch of other, you know, smaller vehicles that are just probably as structurally, you know, sound as a Suburban is. Um, and then... Instead of busting out, you know, the little triangle, uh, window in the driver's side or passenger side door, he busts out the whole big window to get in. It's like, you know, n- now you completely open yourself up to the environment. Um, what I just thought was, you know, it was the end of the show. I don't know if they just got careless or, or what, but I would have, you know, that part right there kind of like what, what's this guy doing? He's not, you know, thinking this through. Um, and there's other ways to get into a vehicle than just busting out a window. Matt can do it with a piece of paracord and, um... <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I it, the show was good. There's a lot of information in it. But, um, at the end, he really disappointed me by, you know, busting out the window of the car when he he, he could have used a, um...
0: Or he could have just called me and I would have yeah. got my paracord and my, my, uh... Uh, wire brush and we would have gotten in no problem <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and the other show which i think it only ran for one season um that you know, we're not going to cut touch too much on was sur- surviving disaster um it was an ex like navy seal and he went in and he had different um scenarios that he showed you how to survive in but after watching you know a couple of them It was just the same stuff, just in a different scenario. So it kind of got real repetitious. Um, And the the different disasters that he did was a airplane hijacking, surviving a fire. um, I believe it was a house fire. I can't quite remember. um, A hurricane, a home evasion, um, an avalanche, lost at sea, a mall shooting, an earthquake, a pandemic, and a nuclear attack. Now, I didn't watch all of them. I do have them recorded on a VHS somewhere in the house um, the whole season. Um, One, I have to make sure my VCRs still work. And two, um, I I have to find the the tape in order to go back. If they're not on YouTube, I have not checked to see if they are on YouTube. But with the fire, the hurricane, the avalanche, um, and the earthquake, they all seem to be the same, you know, same thing to do is same as the uh the hijack um the home invasion the mall shooting the pandemic and nuclear attack i mean it was you know like you did the same two categories just over and over and over for a whole season um which kind of got real repetitious and boring that's why i didn't end up watching the whole season but i did record them all even though i didn't get a chance to watch them so that was surviving disaster there's a lot of good information in it um and I definitely think, you know, if you can catch it, definitely watch it. And I would like to go back and redo my research and watch these again to see if I can't kind of pull more out of than I did when they were first on. And now we're on to uh the top two in this category. Which one you want to start with? Oh, man. Um, let's go ahead and start with Colony
0: because I know the next one's going to be the one that everybody's, the, the, it's the latest and greatest. So so let's go ahead and start with the Colony.
1: All right, the Colony ran for two seasons. Um, so far. So far. Right. That's correct. <laughs> the, <laughs> the first one was in the uh, California. It was uh, right in L.A. Uh, yep. The. Go ahead. <laughs>
0: What? Oh, it's it's just you know some some part of the uh, industrial wasteland
1: of L.A. And then the second one was in the uh, Louisiana Bayou, wasn't it in New Orleans? Yeah, it,
0: it, it was definitely. Let's see, I, bike, I
1: just but... I just
0: watched it. Um, oh, I just revisited because uh, both seasons are on Netflix. Um, it was an area that was affected by Katrina. is that correct? Yes, it was okay, okay I know i I just watched it, but man i just... and it
1: was like a warehouse you know style area that they they compounded to, um but then right outside of that was swampland right that they you know visited um on season one um there was a lot of engineers and doctors and you know medical professions. Yeah, there was
0: a nurse, um,
1: a nurse, a doctor. Uh, there was an engineer, mm-hmm. and then there was a uh, rocket scientist, if I believe right.
0: Oh, there's computer engineer, and um, uh, yeah, she she had to do something with uh, aeronautics. Yeah, she was some sort of aeronautics engineers, but th- there were uh, quite a bit of engineers and uh like you said you know there was one doctor and then there was one nurse and i think there was only i can't remember but i think there was only two blue collar uh people that were on that show um the one being a contractor and uh
1: who he, had a background
0: yeah he he did have a background where he did some time um and then the other guy was he was just a handyman wasn't he he was just
1: a handyman. I think there right. was a welder too. Yes, yes, you're right. There was a welder. You're right. Um, the handyman got on my nerves a lot. Yes, um, he was very dramatic in everything he you know said or did, but he had a lot of good points too, and he was a one hell of a worker. Um, when he put his mind to something, you know, he worked on it. And, you know, he ended up making something out of, you know, nothing. But it was only with the help of mainly the engineers that he got it done. You know, they would think of something and then he was able to, you know, build it. But, uh, there was, there was a lot of good information in that. And, and the colony is about, you know, the collapse of you know, civilization. Um, and then these group of people all get together in a compound and try to build um, something better for themselves there until they're able to move on to something better. Right, it's it's your Mad Max scenario, complete with Marauders. I don't remember the first, what the beginning scenario was on the first one. I think it was just a disaster. Just, they don't think they said, but then the second one, the second when one they, they were the script- in New
0: Orleans,
1: it was a pandemic.
0: Right, yes, it was viral outbreak. <laughs> But, yeah, for, for the first one, some good things to take away from it is um, with all the engineers, and what they come up with, a lot of it's amazing, um, especially with weaponry. Um, you know, but the gasifier, seeing how they make the gasifier is, is worth watching the season all the way through. And you know, if if you live in an urban environment, that's another one to really look for because you know, see, because they, you know, season one was was strictly an urban environment. You know, it, it's a it's an industrial wasteland, warehouse district, um, close to the L.A. River. Um, I mean, it was just it was big, dirty, grungy, gray. You know, asphalt, concrete, jungle. I mean, it was, it was just the worst environment that you could get yourself into in an urban environment. And, uh, that's why I really like Colony Season 1.
1: And with Colony Season 1, I mean, they, well, both of, both colonies did it. But they kind of branched out to see what the surrounding area had for them as far as, uh, goods and survival. Um, so that they can find that they could use, um, to aid in their survival. Um, and at one point they go to a nearby, uh, trailer park, I believe, or, um, mobile home park. Yep. And, um, at that point the handyman had built a, a trike, um, that they used and they went there and they, uh, gathered, you know, some things and then what they thought they were, um, alone end up people were uh, other, you know, people were trying to survive there, so they actually broke in and were taking these people's survival goods, and then there was a race back to the compound because they're, you know, you know they got it. Their uh, situation had just changed because now they're the ones that are being what they were completely against the whole time as people coming in and taking their goods, right? Um, and then they also had, earlier in the season they had um. This uh truck come in that had a bunch of trade, and it was all about the negotiation skills and uh what they were gonna trade food and water and what they were gonna get back out of it whether it be you know fuel or uh other food or or you know purifying needs or or something like that, which was uh you know quite interesting too to see how that they what they used in trade um because that's something that I hadn't really thought about as you know, stocking up on or, or preparing anything is something that you're willing to give away in trade. And both the colony and Doomsday Preppers, um, that, that's a part of both of them. So that's something that kind of opened my eyes to, Hey, you know, it wasn't just a colony that had to deal with trade. Um, but you know, with the new show, Doomsday Preppers, we'll get into in a bit. Um, you know, they also, people are preparing with trade items, um, so that's something to think about in in your own preparations. Yeah, it's that's something to really
0: think about. Um, now, moving on to season two of the colony. <clears throat> excuse me, we uh, find ourselves in a completely different situation. Um, we're out of the urban, and we're more of the town situation. As they find themselves in kind of. An apartment complex <clears throat> with, like, they've got a ten-acre, ten-acre section that, that they can um, kind of call the call home. And um, there's like a small strip mall uh, on on this ten acres. Um, there's a couple apartment buildings. Um, there's like a hunting fishing store. It's there, but there's a canal running kind of in the back of their property. And not only is that a waterway to, um, you know, catch fish, gator, stuff like that, um, but it's also used as for transportation now. And uh, the whole thing with Season 2 is, uh, as we said earlier, it's a, it's a viral outbreak. So there's this government agency called VOPA, and they are, they had sanctioned this as a safe zone. So they dropped these survivors off, and one thing that's kind of different is now they have to, um, they have to uh, uh, go into quarantine if they have any contact with anybody that could possibly be infected, you know, from the outside. So that was kind of a, a different twist and neat. To see that you know how, how do you handle uh, quarantine, and then it drops your uh, your numbers down uh, in case you get attacked, and you know they they still have the marauders and and everything else. But with season two, you get a lot more. It's it's it might sound bad, but a lot more common people. So it was a lot better to watch for me. Um, because these people were not you know extremely highly skilled in engineering, you know these were mechanics and you know carpenters and contractors, and you know they were just you know regular everyday people, and they handled the situation pretty damn good,
1: yeah with uh, season two um there's a with the whole pandemic you know going about um when they do have to quarantine themselves um they didn't really have a quarantine area it was kind of set up and left there by vopa but you know then they had to kind of reinforce it and make it um more structured because they used it more than once you know during the episode which was kind of um These people actually put them. What I'm trying to get at: these people actually put themselves, you know, in the mindset that that this really happened, that this really was a pandemic. Um, Then, you know, this is just a TV show. I mean, throughout the whole season, they were putting people in these quarantine zones um, that had, you know, exposure to the outside, um, or if new people came in, um, which was it was neat to see how it actually changed these people's mindset and how they thought. Because by the end of it, I mean you can see how their body deteriorated from being, you know, malnutritious and not getting the food that they that they need and being, you know, as working as much as they have. You can only, you know, see it in their body weight going down, but you can also see it in their mind too, their their middle state um kind of deteriorated, you know, throughout the the way um throughout the season as well. Yeah,
0: one guy he almost turns feral towards the end. Um after after being stuck there for what was it for it's like a 50 day experiment and these people are not paid they're all volunteers and that's another thing that i really like about this show you know they're they're not getting anything for it you know it's not a contest where they win something it's not survivor you know these people are actually you know doing it for the experience of the experiment itself and um... So they're going through, and one guy almost turns feral towards the end. VOpa ends up coming back and uh, saying, "Hey, we want you guys to go with us." and there is a big uh, trust problem between the colonists and VOpa um, because you know their mindset has been, you know look you've you've left us. you know we haven't had any any contact with you and and, uh, you know, one guy, he takes off and he's out and he's hiding in the weeds and you know, he's just a completely different person, you know, than what he started out the experiment as. And, uh, you know, like Corey, what what he was saying about, you know, the malnutrition and everything, they have it a lot harder than the first season. Um, first season, yeah, you know, they, they definitely had, you know, their own issues. But it seemed like the second season um, it it finally took one person by uh, joining the group um, that you know to and I, I think he was added to actually uh, advert a big disaster you know with somebody really getting super sick. Um, you know he was his name is tick and he was he's what ex Marine.
1: Uh yeah I don't know exactly ex-military
0: yeah he's ex-military uh, specializing in, he's a sniper uh, specializing in like reconnaissance and everything but um, extremely neat guy and a good twist um, you know because he ends up inviting you know the colonists over for dinner and he's got stuff that they had no clue was even around and he's like yeah I've been picking this. You know this this came straight from your backyard, and um, I mean it was it was just it was it was neat. It's a it's a more uh, I guess it's a more believable with the cast of characters, um, in the second season than the first season, just because they're more they're they're less specialized. And they're more general, like general knowledge you know and understandings rather than you know more specifics, so extremely neat uh The only thing is I'm not gonna ruin it for anybody, but the very ending um you're you're gonna watch it and you're gonna be like
1: you're gonna take a gas your gas you know there when you get to the end because." Yep. I wasn't expecting that. And throughout the whole season there's a struggle of power uh between a couple a couple individuals. And um it's pretty interesting, you know, who comes out and actually as the leader um of the group, um, especially before Tick arrives and then after Tick arrives. Um it, it's, it's neat to see how that plays out. Um and the one that, you know, pulls out Ahead through most of it is a you know woman mechanic. Um, mm-hmm. She becomes the leader of the whole group and you know speaks for everybody um, because of the, her decision making and you know what she's able to you know stand for. I think uh, I think
0: she's the most. She's got she's got her head about her the best out of all of them. Yeah, and she was able to stay calm through most situations.
1: And, of course, they have marauders that come in that they have to deal with and um, people trying to, you know, loot from them and steal from them. Um, I think one of their um, members um, is, gets abducted at one point yep. and uh, kind of stirs up, you know, their whole security and safety. They've been focusing so much on, you know, food and water um, and then improving their their conditions that they didn't really think about security and it really got him in the end yeah it was
0: uh it was a neat twist because you know she was she was used for uh a bargaining chip and uh it was it was it was definitely weird i i i don't know just go and and check it out and and you know definitely let's put up a forum or something and uh Let's see what everybody else's thoughts are. Now, um, you are left wanting a third season. Um, if you've already watched the first two seasons, you're definitely going to want a third one. Um, I think if they continue to follow the same pattern. Um, in fact, I was just on a forum um, just a, a few minutes ago, and uh, it was, it's actually on Discovery Channel Network. Um, uh, the website, and it's uh, a forum that deals with the colony, and they're talking about Season 3, you know, when's when Season 3 coming out. And uh, there, there's a couple posts in there um, where they were talking about how it would be neat to be more of a, instead of a a warm weather climate, maybe a cooler weather climate.
1: That's what I would like to see. And possibly um, yeah the Midwest or you know northern states, right. and uh, you know they're they're talking about uh, possibly Oregon,
0: and uh, you know, there's a couple guys yeah, yeah, you know, Oregon sounds cool and everything else where it's more woods based, you know, where it's either a super small town that you know like a ghost town that gets you know uh, something wipes it out or whatever. And they have to use that and the woods, you know, to, to live off of. And uh, somebody brought up a great idea of possibly running two colonies. And either they end up warring with each other or they end up joining and becoming one. How neat would that be if, you know, following two colonies?
1: I I, I, I like that idea. Yeah, that, that um, would be slick. I think mean, that would be neat. You know, with them not knowing about the other one and then, you know, being following both and then having them collide. Right. Um, that'd be, you know, definitely something worth watching. Yeah, okay. I definitely want another season of the colony. Yeah. Cause I mean, that, that would, if they
0: would do something like that, that would fill that void that Jericho left in me. And that's what I
1: want. Yeah. <laughs> I, after we get done with all these, I want to bring up, you know, Jericho and some of the other ones as well. Yep. Okay. Okay. Um, so are we moving on to the big one? Let's move on to the big one, the new one that just okay. came out, uh, three weeks ago. Uh, Doomsday Preppers, a national geographic I talked about a little earlier in the show. Um, it is about these individual preppers and their cachet of food, water, and security, um, goods, and how they're preparing and what they're preparing for. Um, each episode um, is an hour-long episode that covers um, three to four people. Um, I believe they're all three people, um, but I knew that the the pilot um, was four people, I mm-hmm. believe. Yes, yes um, it was, because I watched but, the pilot. But all the ones since then that's, that came out a few weeks ago have all been, I think, three people. Um... I've watched all four episodes that were out the first night. They had two back to back and then, um, uh, one last week and then one this past week. Um, very good shows. Um, overall, I'd say, excuse me, it's, it's it's very good show to watch. Um, it is definitely the extreme side of things as, you know, for me, um, People preparing 15, 20 years of food, uh, that's a lot, <laughs> that's a lot to prepare. Um, and then the scenarios that they're preparing for, it seems like they're only preparing, you know, just for this or just for that. Um, like a polar, um, polar switch in, you know, north and south or, uh, super volcano exploding or an EMP attack or. And I, uh,
0: I think a lot of that is just the showmanship of the show picking that. I, I because I, because I don't think these people are doing all this just for one. I mean, that's like putting all your eggs in one basket. You know, and so, like, well, some of them, yeah, you know, possibly, yeah, that's all they're preparing for. But it's like, you know, earlier tonight, I was over at Corey's house. We ended up watching in uh, one of the, the newest episodes here. Now, I've seen the pilot, and then I've seen this other episode. And uh, the one family that they that they followed, it seemed like they are pretty much prepared for anything. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was pretty impressive.
1: There, I do have some negative about the show. Um, for one, I think the network itself is twisting things and, you know, twisting the preppers um, and the way that they're editing it is making it look bad um, for the, the prepping community. Um, I think they could have done a better job um of the way that they're portraying the people on the show. At the same time I think some of the people on the show are just on it for their fifteen minutes of fame. Um particularly the uh single party girl from Houston, Texas, uh preparing for a uh well I think was a uh fuel shortage. Yep. Um she just annoyed me from the beginning and uh, continued throughout her whole 15 minutes that she was on the show. Um, but then this last week um, was very good and very interesting. It uh, followed a guy that was a truck driver and how he was trying to prepare for on the road, um, what he was doing, and his whole thing was that he's a trucker. Um, he's a retired cop, um, but he's a trucker, and... Uh, you know, loves what he does. He loves being a trucker and, you know, making sure that America keeps moving, um, and going forward by supplying the needs, um, you know, to we, that, the stuff that we need to grocery stores. Um, and he's going to do that even through a disaster. He's going to, you know, try and do it the best he can. Um, I thought what he was doing was re- really good. And, uh, so I think the show is getting better overall. Um, the first couple times, I watched it. I was really thinking. I don't know about this show. Is really making you know the prepper community and you know survivalists have a bad image, and I think that was the the media twist on it. Yeah, um, the pilot. You know the the first family
0: that I seen. I was I was kind of blown away. Um, you know what what they were doing with with the uh, tilapia pond and. What they did, you know, converting that that old in-ground swimming pool over to the tilapia pond, and you know, doing aquaponics, and I mean, they, they were they were pr- pretty much self-sufficient. I mean, it was it was pretty amazing, you know. And being in an urban environment, you know, in Phoenix, and being able to pull that off, you know, that was pretty good. And then they started getting into you know, the drills that they were doing with the kids, you know, with the, uh, you know, uh, biochemical nuclear suits. And, um, you know, that that kind of started tipping it to a degree that I didn't know if they really wanted to go down. But they showed it like three or four times, and they really kind of threw it in your face that, you know, that that's what these people were doing. And uh, so, you know, I, I don't know, just, that was that was a little much you know and then and then you got to the um, oh the guys down in South Carolina, and you know they were pretty much running a self sufficient farm you know is very very interesting what they were doing down there um you know running trucks off gasifiers you know go back to colony season one and uh you know you can pretty much see how Build one, um, <clears throat> and you know these guys. There, you know they had great ideas. You know the one guy, he was he could pretty much do whatever you know whatever you uh, wanted to do. You know with this gasifier, and he was able to you know pull it up to this uh, to the station where it would end up converting it from running the truck to actually running the generator that powered the house and I mean it was it was pretty good stuff, you know, and then they started going out and drilling. And you know, if if we want to admit it or not, you know, there's there's always that thought of security. And, you know, in a in a in a breakdown, you know, what's gonna happen. But how they were showing themselves and how they were being portrayed, um it, it didn't make them look very good on T V and I kind of had a problem with that, you know. I mean, it, it, you went from, you know, taking these guys that they were just regular guys, you know, and now it's like, well, you know, now we're out and, you know, we're, we're training with our guns and we're, you know, showing you the drills and everything. And they would say, yeah, we, you know, we shoot at range, you know, and they kind of would have kept exactly what they were doing a little bit more quiet. I think it would have hand out better for him overall, um, but I don't know. I just I I kind of cringed when I seen that. It's it's like you know, look, you know we've you know we've all you know ran you know some drills and everything you know with with firearms, but um we just just seeing it come back at you on TV and you know being with those guys up to that point and then they you know started showing different. You know, caches that they had and, you know, for supplies and, you know, a security around the property. And it was just, it was a little too much than what I was expecting to see. Well, I just
1: think with the whole show that, um, I think everyone should have, you know, food, water saved up, um, for as long as that person feels need that they need to have it saved up. Um, whether it be just, you know, the three days that, you know, FEMA, you know, suggests and Homeland Security, or if it's, you know, one or two months, or if it's, you know, 10, 15 years, whatever, you know, fits your needs, I think is great. Um, and then I think everyone should have, you know, a tactical side is, is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, a big part I... of security. Um, and everyone needs to do it and everyone does need to practice that. But it's the way that the show portrayed it, Yep. It made us look like, you know, gun toning, warmongering, you know, Red Dawn, you know. Exactly. You know, it was people. When like- I don't want that image, you know, to be grouped with all of us. And I don't even think that these people are like that, but I think that's the way that the show edited it to be. Mm hmm. Um, and they, these people might be that way, and if that works for them, that's fine, but it seems like everyone that they, most of the people that they follow are like that. So it's kind of grouping everyone, you know, to, you know, weapons and tactical and, you know, putting guns in kids' hands and, and everything. And, and which is great. I think, you know, uh, I personally believe, you know, kids should be brought up with firearms. They should be taught the safe way to handle them
0: um, and to a safe have a way healthy to shoot respect
1: them and respect the firearm. Exactly. Um, but it's, You know, when they're giving an AR-15 to a kid to sit in a bus window while they're driving down the road to their bug-out location. I don't know if that's quite the appropriate image that we need as, you know, survivalists or preppers or, you know, whatever you may call yourself. Um, Not that I don't think, you know, that child should know how to use it and respect it. But with that, in episode three... um, there's a guy and, uh, as is, is a family, um, he was teaching his kids how to shoot, um, and they were out out at the range, it was him and his two sons, I think his wife, um, I can't remember if they have a daughter or not, and they were pretty well prepared, um, they, you know, knew what to pack up, they had a, uh, enclosed trailer ready to go and then if they need to pack up there everything was in bags and you know bug out bags and the equipment bags and they could just throw it all in and they could do it rather quickly but then they showed him going out to the shooting range and shooting and then while they're out there shooting all of a sudden they pan to the the father and the gun goes off and they pan the father and he's on the ground and there's a, a paramedic that was with the the camera crew that runs over to him or is with him and the father had just shot his thumb off. And and it's like this is what we don't need. We don't need people thinking that, you know we're a bunch of, you know, gun toting warmongers that don't know how to use firearms. So thumbs they, up to that guy? Right, well, thumbs up to that guy. Well um not really. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Sewing yeah. back on thumbs. Yeah. <laughs> um but you know, they rush him off to the hospital and all and he has to get his Thumb or finger one of them sewed back on, and the gun had mis it, the gun is misfired, and then uh, he ended up putting his finger in front of the barrel and it went off and shot off his finger or thumb, which everyone knows not to do that. Um, <laughs> but it, it's just things like that. It's like, well, we don't need that image, you know, grouped in with us. And you know, it, accidents happen, things happen. You know, it, I'm sure it happens to. Not all of us, and I hope not all of us, but, you know, it does happen. Accidents do happen, um, and it was this guy's carelessness that caused the accident. Um, but it just kind of made us look dumb, and I, I I really have a hard time with that, and I kind of keep driving that point home um, because I don't want him to do that. And then also another uh, guy in episode three, he was a firefighter in New York City, um, he responded to 9-11 when that happened and he was preparing for a supervolcano explosion hmm. in New York City. Um, which I don't know if that's quite, you know, hmm. the, the worst thing to think about in New York City is, you know, the supervolcano. I think there's probably 101 other things that could go wrong before the super volcano erupts. Um, which is in Yellowstone, a couple thousand miles away. Um, and of course, you know, with, I read with the winds, trailing winds and all, obviously, stuff, you know, it'll move that direction. But I think you have time to prepare. And, you know, one of his is he was going to stay in his apartment with his family the best that he can. And at one point, he shows them practicing a drill, and they're running around. They're getting their water. They have this big, giant bladder um, that they put in the bathtub. And they fill it up with water, which is really cool. And I really like to find out where he got it, and maybe even get one, um, you know, in case of a disaster. Um, as far as just a tornado or you know earthquake or ice or you know storm that takes out the power, or anything that you know maybe in my area, uh, I think it's definitely something looking into because it takes up the whole the whole bathtub, just turns it into this giant water bladder um, that fills up, which is really cool. Is it possibly just a uh, waterbed? Bladder. no I, I think this was a, an actual water bladder sold at some survival store i've not looked it up to find one um but i it had a pump and everything to so pump the water back out cool do you need it knew it, it was really cool um but then a part of his security was he keeps a, a bucket or bag full of uh broken glass by the door and he has a, a small child um but he keeps a bucket of glass by the door because he says that's his security he opens up the door in this apartment complex and he just throws out a bucket full of broken glass in the hallway. And I understand <laughs> that they're taping, but what if your neighbors go to out, out of the house or the kids are going to school or something? Now they're walking all over broken glass. And I understand their point that they're trying to drive home. Um, but I just couldn't believe he just opened up the door and threw out a bucket full of glass or me a Saturday Night Live bag of glass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> In New York City, he couldn't have a gun, so he carried knives, which is great. Everyone should have knives. Everyone should have multiple knives because one knife can't do the job for everything. But this guy had fantasy knives. I mean, these were like you know fantasy daggers with all the you know you know stuff hanging off of them that you know you'd see in Lord of the Rings or something. It's just it's not it's not an appropriate use for the you know tool, but you know if that's what he likes and that's what he likes, but. <laughs> And then he can't store everything at his apartment because his apartment's small, so he has a storage facility. So his he was trying to get to the storage facility and back in like forty-five minutes. And in case of a super volcano, of course there would be you know ash and everything around. So he puts on all his firefighter type gear and he's got the full mask and back you know his air tank on his back and he's walking through the streets in New York City with all this on. And if I would see someone walking down the street now, you know, with, you know, testing this gear, I would be calling the police. <laughs> what's not doing, you know? He's carrying a bag over his back. Um, you know, who knows what's in it? And then, you know, he's got all this stuff on him. And he makes it to his storage facility and back within enough time because his air tank can only have, you know, air for 45 minutes. Um, so he makes it. He cuts it close, but he does make it. Um... And I understand why he's doing that. I mean, it is a, you know, TV show and they're wanting to show his, you know, procedures, but you know, overall I think he could have, you know, maybe done, tried it without the mask and everything and it's still 45 minutes, 45 minutes of air is still 45 minutes of air, no matter how you slice it. You know, so if you make it there and back in 45 minutes, you know, chances are you'll get it, but, um, I do like the fact that he had procedures in place and he is trying them. Um, I just thought it was you know kind of strange to actually do it and in episode four, this last one, there was a lady that was scared of a pandemic, and she had everyone over at her house all of her family over at her house um and she puts together these pandemic kits and it has everything from uh pan, you know suits to masks to goggles and um everything you need you know to protect yourself hand sanitizer and in these buckets, and he, she makes them and gives them to all of her neighbors that she thinks, you know, may need them, which is very nice of her. She does it free charge, you know, as, as the TV show portrays that she does. She doesn't charge anything. She just makes them up and gives them to her neighbors. But then she tests it, you know, at her house. She has all of her friends and family over. Her father's like 90 years old. Um, I don't know how old he is, but he's old. You know, he's walking with a cane. And, you know, she's like drilling into his head that, you know, he's going to die if he doesn't get the suit on in three minutes. And the poor guy is struggling to try and get this on. And she's like, well, sorry, you're dead now because you didn't get it on in time. And she's yelling at the kids, you got to get this on. You got to get this on. And then they finally all get them on. And then they have to get up and go outside. And, you know, the. The father's like, you know, struggling to get it on. Now he's struggling to get up and get out the door. And she's just drilling it into everyone in the family's head that, you know, you got to get outside. And then once you're outside, now you're contaminated. So before you go in, you got to take everything off in a certain order and use hand sanitizer before you're allowed back in the house. And then they go back in the house and they're getting ready to eat dinner. And uh, they hear a knock at the door. And knock on the door is her daughter-in-law with, you know, her grandbaby. And it's a, like, a young newborn baby. And she opens the door, and the daughter goes to walk in. She's like, nope, you're 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 contaminated. You got to sit in. So she's like, hold on one second. So she shuts the door on her daughter-in-law and baby um, because they were late and tapes off one whole room of her house and completely seals it off, puts on, you know, she's got all of her gear on. She opens up the sliding glass door, lets them in, to the, con- the area that's you know contained and then she goes back out takes her stuff off uses hand sanitizer cleans up and then they all sit at the dinner table and eat while the daughter-in-law and baby are stuck in the other room watching and don't get enough food because they were late wow yeah and it's like really that's going a little overboard <laughs> you got three minutes cory <laughs> Three minutes. So with that, um, that kind of wraps up our uh, doomsday preppers for this week. Um, as it keeps going on, this is only the fourth episode. I will probably revisit it um, in future shows, so we can kind of give an update of what's going on, what we see, what we like, what we don't like. Um, but overall, I think it's something to watch. There are things to take out of it. I do like how everyone you know, practices their plans and I encourage everyone to practice their plans um, as often as they can and reassess their equipment and situation as well. What do you think, Matt? Oh, not a whole lot, that's for sure. <laughs>
0: um, did you have anything else um, that you wanted I to bring do. up for Jericho like real quick to touch real- on
1: yeah, real quick. Uh this show was about TV survival shows and I don't want to get that confused with uh shows like Jericho series, like Jericho. Um this is more, you know, how to do it, um like your man versus wild dual survival. Um Doomsday Preppers. You know, where actually people are out in the we- you know, in the field and this is what they're doing and this is, you know, what they're, you know, planning for. And then you have TV series um, like Jericho. Jericho was a great episode or a great TV show. Um, I really hate that they canceled it. Um, it was about a nuclear um, attack that went on, and it was this town of Jericho in Kansas that was you know trying to survive with it, and um, within their own you know, community and their outreaching communities, and they have you know stress with the government, um, and they have some people in their you know, groups that are. Kind of got some unique backgrounds. Um, if you haven't seen it, you can check it out on Netflix on streaming. Um, when they canceled after the first season, I was one of the ones that uh, wrote the producers and said nuts and uh, get them back. And we got them back on for a second season, but it did not last long. And they really left us hanging at the end. Um if anybody is out there listening to us, watch Jericho. um we need to rally around to get them either to bring it back, um, another, you know, uh, station, pick it up or, uh, there was talks of a movie, um, to be made to finish it. Uh, they did, I believe, continue it in a comic book form. Um, I would much rather watch it on uh, screen than read about it. Um, for that's just me, but, uh, we'll probably do another show maybe in the future. um, about, you know, TV series and movies, um, kind of combine them together. I like Jericho, and there was a show, Jeremiah, mm-hmm. uh, which was excellent. Netflix had that streaming live, but had took it off. Um, you can now get DVD of season one, but season two is not available. Um, so that kind of definitely leaves you hanging. Um, uh, there was a, um, there's the British one, Survivors. Yep. Which is really good. It's only six episodes. Um, uh, it's definitely worth watching. And then, uh, we'll get into some other, uh, movies another time, like, uh, a British movie, Threads, um, which is very dark. Um, and I really need to rewatch it, but it was, it's dark and disturbing. Um, was what, 1983, 84, at the latest, maybe? Yeah. When Threads came out? And then there was the American version, which is um, the day after. The day after, um, which was really good. So we'll, we'll touch base on those another time. But
0: yeah, sounds good, buddy.
1: Well, I want to thank all of our listeners um, and keep checking back on the uh, website www.survivaltechwebs.com. Uh, call into us. Send us an email. And definitely, uh, become a member and poster of forums. We look forward to hearing to you, uh, hearing from you and, uh, stay alive America.